No my hockey my, we have got two things we want to talk about first, really quickly. The first being happy to wiki o te reo Māori. It is Māori Language Week, so go on. What better time to test out a bit of everyday reo? Lots of us actually have like more than we think, right? Yeah, I, I, uh-huh. for example. That means yes, nice and easy. Kia ora. Not hard to chuck into your everyday language. You don't have to just do it for two weeks today or Māori as well. Like, that's an option. You can carry it on. But, like you say, what better time to test a few phrases out? Indeed. And, uh, Emma, the other Mm. thing was something you wanted to quickly mention, something very, very exciting, (laughs) and it is not (laughs) re-upping your engagement or renouncing (laughs) the... uh... No, no, the humblest of all humble brags, while I have a platform to humble brag on, Uh my cousin's going to the Olympics. What? Really? What for? (laughs) I didn't know that. (laughs) How cool is that? He plays for the Ollie White, so that's New Zealand's under-23 men's football team. Mm-hmm. Um, they just qualified for the Olympics over the weekend. They smashed Fiji 9-0. Oh, forget 9-0, the All Blacks. really? Yeah, They're forget the All Blacks. The okay. Ollie Whites are the ones you want to watch. I'm just kidding, up the Wars and up the ABs, yes, forever, obviously, yeah, but up it, the Ollie Whites, I think. Yeah, <laughs> yeah please um, so, yeah. retrieve the hate mail that you just sent to newswords.co.nz. <laughs> uh, anyway, kia ora, this is Newsable, I'm Emil. And I'm Imogen, and this is what's worth talking about. Polls are telling us National and Act are looking more and more like the next government, so we're asking David Seymour about his wild card governing arrangement. Also, mega landlords are on the rise, but so too are first-home owners, so what might be happening? to the housing market after the election. It's been seven months since Hawke's Bay was hit by Cyclone Gabrielle. We're meeting the local legend who's made it his mission to lift spirits in the region. Plus the pyramid that's being built right now, but you absolutely would not want to hold your breath for the completion date. All that's coming up in a moment here on Newsable. Newsable takes time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. Recent poll numbers have National and Act sitting comfortably as New Zealand's next government. So it's no wonder there are questions about what the two parties' negotiations are going to look like. Act leader David Seymour says his preference is a coalition deal, but he is also now floating the idea of a confidence only deal with Christopher Luxon's team. You may have heard of confidence in supply agreements within government. That's what the Green Party had in 2017 with Labour. So what does David Seymour mean by this? Well, he is here to chat more about this now. David, welcome back to Newsable. Yeah, nice to be on here again. How are you going? Very well, thank you. Um, Can you just explain, so what does confidence only mean and how does it differ from confidence in supply for people who aren't that au fait with, with these political terms? Sometimes parties make an agreement they call confidence and supply, which basically says that the parties will vote together if there's a vote of confidence, i.e. if a vote is called in Parliament that there's no confidence in the Prime Minister and we've got to have a new election. So it's really important to pass a confidence vote. But then there's also a vote on supply, and that that is a supply of money, the right to tax people and spend their money. Um, And that is the other really important thing that happens. Now, what we're saying is we'd absolutely give confidence. We want to see a change of government. We want to see um, Chris Luxon and the National Party in government with us. We want to see Chris as Prime Minister. That's all all fine. Um, But when it comes to supply... Actually, there's a lot of people voting acts who want something a little bit different. They, they want to see it into the amount of government waste. They want to see less spending. And what we're saying is, well, back, you know, we give you confidence. But when it comes to supply, we want to negotiate each time to make sure that 
the people who voted for us who want less waste aren't being taken for granted. And we want to make sure um, that we're part of the deal about you know how much money gets spent, how much tax, rather than just coming in at the end of it. But David, if you aren't guaranteeing the supply side of things, the money decisions, isn't that a lack of confidence? Um, well, there is a lack of confidence. I, I mean, you know, we, we want uh, the National Party leader to be Prime Minister. We think that that'd be better than what we have now by a considerable margin. Um, but that's not enough. This time is different from other times when it was enough to get national and to basically consolidate Labor's policies and manage them a bit better. This country needs a real change. And that's why we're saying, look, you know, MMP's changing. Uh, it's the system we've got, whether we like it or not. So how do we use it to make sure that we get better policy? And that means a party like Act saying, well, back, uh, we want the change of government. We want to work with you. But we also want to trust but verify and say these policies of spending too much money, taxing too much, you know, we want a, we want a bit more say on that. David, we uh, in terms of policies and, and how you're different from National, you know, you are very different in many ways. We've actually we've got a bit of uh, audio from Chris Luxon here if you want to have a listen to this. Would you abolish fees free? No. Would you abolish first home grant? Uh, no. Would you halt super fund contributions? Uh, no, that's not our policy. Sell Land Corp? Uh, not our policy. Abolish Callaghan Innovation? Not our policy. Abolish all film subsidies? Not our policy. Abolish R&D grants and tax credits? Uh, not our policy. Scrap the Climate Change Commission? Uh, not our policy. Scrap the clean car discount? Uh, well, we've just talked about that today. If you're planning, as I presume you are, on sort of you know passing policies on a case-by-case -case basis as opposed to passing a budget, isn't that just the definition of the tail wagging the dog in a government setting? Well, not at all. Uh, it's about making sure that all voices are represented. So if you give your party vote to act, you're, you're, you're getting a say and you're getting some value out of your vote too. What you've just heard is a long list of Labour Party policies um, that the National Party now want to keep. And Act would argue that if we're going to have a better future in this country, it won't be enough to just carry on doing the same thing, but, you know, wear a blue tie on Monday. Uh, we're going to have to make the change real. And that's where we say, look, actually, you know, Chris is going to have to think twice about uh, some of those commitments to keep Labour Party policies. Wouldn't this make things more difficult? It could stall stuff for days, weeks, months on end? Oh, I totally agree that it would be more difficult to work this way. That's why I'd prefer a tight relationship with the Nat sitting around the table implementing an agreed plan uh, to turn this country around. But, you know, it seems what, what, you, what you're hearing is when they say get New Zealand back on track, they mean basically carry on the same way but with different people in charge. Um, and I don't think that that's going to cut it. David, just finally on this, while we've got you here, the X party, you've lost five candidates in two months. Goodness me. Who's doing your vetting? What's going on here? Oh, I think people will try and make it a bigger story than it is. I mean, you look at it, I think it's a positive thing that people can actually, you know, be off a person from the street, stand up, volunteer, uh, put their name forward. And then some people say, look, I, I don't want to give up my weekends and my privacy. I don't like this. Um, some people, well, one person had a, an issue with their family. I, I, I think that they should be able to step down and not be sort of pursued out of the arena um, the way some journalists have. There's a couple of candidates there that, that said things that I don't think are um, you know, compatible with X values and they've stepped down. And 
I think ultimately, you know, the question is not what happens, but how you deal with it. I'm pleased with the way we've dealt with it. Do, do you do you vet your candidates? Do they do they go past your desk and do you look into them? Yeah, I do. I'm part of the board. You know, we do the selection. So yeah, I'm involved in that process. Will you, will you be keeping a close eye on a closer eye on people's CVs and in past episodes? Look, I understand it's a difficult thing to do. You know, in an age of uh, the, the technology, the way that it is, you have to go through a lot of stuff. But shouldn't you be keeping a closer eye on this? Um, not really. I mean. You know, if you want to, you know, start qualifying people based on something that they said on LinkedIn two years ago, then, you know, I guess um, it's going to be a very difficult process. But as it turns out, it came to light. We looked at what they said. We assessed whether it fit with our values and they're gone. I think that's a pretty good, uh, you know, set of values and execution by act. David Seymour, at Party Leader, thank you very much for your time. And for joining us from your car. Yeah, no worries. Wasn't a great weekend for New Zealand sport uh, with both the All Blacks and the Warriors losing. But we want to ask you this. If you had a choice between the All Blacks winning the World Cup or the Warriors winning the NRL title, which one do you pick? Yes, we are determined to ignite a civil war this week. And no, you cannot choose both. You dastardly fence sitter. Let us know. You can find us on TikTok or Instagram. Just search up NZ, And you can flick us an email to stuff.co.nz. Kia ora, I'm Adam Blair. I played the great game of rugby league for the Storm, Tigers, Broncos and the Mighty Warriors. And I'm Goran Paladin, sports presenter and rugby league fanatic. I won a World Cup too. I played 51 tests for New Zealand. Yeah, he's a national treasure, people. Come on. Blairy and I, we're joining forces for a brand new rugby league podcast called League of Our Own. Each week we talk Kiwis across the NRL and of course everything was. All the big names, the big stories. And some of my own stories too. Well, if we can make them fit. We'll make time. Okay. League of Our Own with Blairy and Goran. Debut ep dropping on Wednesday afternoon and every Wednesday after that. You can listen through stuff.co.nz or wherever you get your podcasts. Proudly brought to you by Snap Rentals. Mate, your, your stories are way too long, eh? Nah, we've got to take them on a journey. <laughs> oh, the journey. Yeah, of course. <laughs> Here's a question. What's going to happen to the housing market after the election? Stuff has this week launched its second series of mega landlords, looking at the largest landlords in the country, landlords who all own more than 20 properties. And it's found that compared to two years ago, there are hundreds more mega landlords and also a whole lot more successful first home buyers. So getting back to that initial question, how could all of this look if there's a change of government? Stuff reporter Jed Can is with us. Kia ora Jed. Let's start with the basics. Where exactly are all of these mega landlords? The top line is essentially they're all over the country um, and they generally do seem to stick in a certain area. Uh, presumably it's the area they know best. I mean, in series one, we had a Wellington uh, mega landlord who had 79 properties. We had one in Palmerston North with at least 72. We had another in Dunedin with 43 properties. Uh, in this series, you know, we've come across uh, and profiled a mega landlord in a very small Bay of Plenty town who has over 50 properties. Um, and we've got a couple uh, in Auckland. So it just shows uh, the these mega landlords are operating uh, all over the place. And what are they saying? 
There's been some um, some pretty big uh, statements and pretty big calls. Some of the most interesting were around their projections uh, of what they think the housing market will do under a national versus uh, Labour-led government. Some of them are talking about another 10 to 15% fall under Labour. Others are talking about a 5% price rise again, almost immediately uh, under a national party. So there's been a lot of discussion about that. There's also been quite a lot of discussion. Uh, I'm not sure how much how many of their statements were made uh, in the angry heat of the moment, but you know we've had one saying if Labour if we end up with a Labour Greens Maori coalition, he will sell everything up, 100 plus properties he has, and he says he'll leave New Zealand. So there's there's quite a lot of passion among this buyer group at the moment. There are lots of countries where there are what you would call like mega land, you know, where, where a single entity or a bunch of entities own a lot of rental properties, countries like Singapore and Germany and stuff like that. I guess the difference there being that many of those mega landlords are like governments or um, NGOs or not-for-profits. Is there anything philosophically really objectionable about lots of rental properties being concentrated in the hands of big companies like this? Um, well, I will just start off by saying this analysis did exclude NGOs and the likes of Kang Order. Um, so the, the figures that we talk about here are purely for-profit private mega landlords. They right. might have a trust, but it's not a charitable trust. Yeah. And I don't think there is a problem. The, I think the problem is when these mega landlords, uh, as most of them do, create their portfolios not by producing any more houses. I don't think I've come across one yet that is a developer mega landlord. Right. They, they all run similar playbooks. Uh, they, they do have a function, which can be, can be really good. They sometimes buy rundown properties that they then do up. They add value. That gives them more equity to play with. Um, so they're, they're rising the quality of some of the housing. But overwhelmingly, these mega landlords have become mega landlords by cannibalizing existing stock. Right. And when you consider that so much of the future of Kiwis is wrapped up in the ability to buy their own home, you know, a comfortable retirement is a huge one. I think that's where the kind of morally objectionable element comes in. So we're not demonizing success here. This isn't a symptom of uh, tall poppy syndrome. This is more about putting a microscope uh, on the methodology with which uh, investors are achieving success. I don't think there's ever been such a crossroads election uh, for our housing market. We've had things like capital gains floated in the past, but there's been no situation where there's more of a contrasting view between the plans of Labour uh, versus National. Chikan, thanks so much for your time. Really appreciate it. It has been seven months since the Hawke's Bay was hit by Cyclone Gabrielle. The region, of course, was lashed with gale-force winds and swells and record rainfall, which saw banks burst, widespread flooding, power outages, access cut off to homes and communities, and 11 people lost their lives. February 14, 2023 will be a date etched into the memories of those who call Hawke's Bay home, and more than a half a year on, there's still plenty of clean-up and repairing to do. Jack Jensen, a local and founder of Misfit Productions and Spark That Chat, has made it his mission to keep morale as high as possible for the community and has been putting on a series of free events to bring everyone together and he's here now to chat. Kia ora. G'day. Jack, first of all, talk us through the current state of the region. Where are things at for people who haven't visited lately in terms of the rebuild, the clean-up, are parts still cut off? Yeah, no, it's um, it's been a wild process really and I think if you haven't been down here and seen it, you'd have no idea. Pretty much right away, it was like being in a movie. It's, I think, you know, you still drive through places like Parkify where rivers are so, like, far away from each other, but it was three metres overhead. People, to this day, they're still in the mix of it, of, of digging out silt. They're 
belongings, their livelihoods. Yeah, it's gnarly. I'm from Christchurch, and I, I remember in the aftermath of the, the the earthquake in 2011, you know, there was a lot of attention from the rest of, of the country on Christchurch for a few months, but that attention did sort of wane after a while. And, and I remember a lot of people in Christchurch feeling like, guys, we are still living in this reality, this kind of broken reality. Is there an element of that playing into this? And, and is that part of the reason that you decided to organise these events? Yeah, bro, 100%. Well, like the fact you've been through, you know, the earthquakes of knowing what it's like, we're still here, bro, and there's a lot of people still here, like I said, grinding day by day and taking it day by day. Um, and we, we very much preach in, in the way of one step at a time, one foot in front of the other. And um, yeah, that is definitely why we've come to putting this these events on because what this is doing, what the events are doing is just bringing people together to be able to boost that morale, to be able to connect over positive times. Tell us a bit more about these events. What's on offer? So, yeah, we're putting on free gigs, really, with the the bells and whistles of being fed by incredible food. The man that's running the, the food is Greg Miller, who's a local Estelle legend. So he's been holding it down in the food. So people roll in, have a good feed. Uh, everyone, you know, we're feeding up to four to 600 people and their kids. Bouncy castles, play trailers, because these events are, are very much for the kids as well as the adults. All they need to do is turn up, and that's that's our point. Like we don't want to give any excuse to to not turn up, because understanding finance is very tight for a lot of people, especially like you know what's going on with the whole economy. Yeah, putting on a hell of a hell of an evening for them to to walk away with a spring in their step and. Yeah, some good good in their heart and soul to be able to keep keep chugging forward, eh? Jack Jensen, thank you so much for your time. What a wonderful thing you're doing for the people of Hawke's Bay. I know what a huge fan you are of engineers and engineering. Oh, a huge fan with the concrete and the hammers and the nails and big engineer guy well i've got very excited to tell you that yesterday was a very important day for one very protracted engineering project okay all right, I'm intrigued. You have my attention. Please elaborate. The project is called Zeit Pyramide in Bavaria in Germany. Zeit Pyramide means time pyramid, as the name might suggest. It's mm-hmm. a great big pyramid. Mm-hmm. Construction began in 1993. Great year. Great to year. be born. Um, yeah. And it's scheduled to be completed in the year 3,183. 3,000. 3,183. The year 3,183. The year 3,183. <laughs> you can have to give a bit more explanation here. So this is a very long-term work of public art, as you may have gathered. The whole shtick of it is that the pyramid is which is why it takes 1,190 years to complete. The reason I bring it up is because yesterday, September 10th, a new block was added. Oh. So we had a once-in-a-decade moment. It was a once-in-a-decade moment. We didn't even know. And we won't see it again for another de- uh, 10 years. It's like, hey, has got It's very cool, but it doesn't seem very German. I thought Germans were supposed to be efficient. This does not seem to be an efficient way to construct a pyramid. Maybe they're trying to embrace the it's the journey, not the destination vibe. It's optimistic to think that the world will still be around in the year 3183 and anything remotely similar to what we 
recognise now, I suppose. So, you know, it's um, it's hope, hopeful, do you think? Yeah, I also wonder if the German government of the year 3,183 will agree to supply the funds to finish it off or if the German people <laughs> will even, you know, put in the legwork. It's very presumptuous. Maybe confidence-only arrangement. Um, we will we will definitely check in or at least um, we will leave notes and commands in our wills for our ancestors to do so uh, in that year. But on that cheery note, that's Newsable for today. I'm Emile Donovan. And I'm Imogen Wells. Have a great Great start to your week. Kia pai tora. This pod took time and resources to produce. Please support our mahi and visit stuff.co.nz support. If you don't have time to read the in-depth stories or you just prefer to listen instead, The Long Read From Stuff is the podcast for you. Each week we showcase one of our excellent pieces of journalism, telling important or entertaining stories from the world of crime, sport, history, culture and more. You also get to hear from the journalists themselves about how they uncovered the story and how it came to life. So for your weekly dose of long-form journalism, beautifully read, subscribe to The Long Read From Stuff wherever you get your podcasts.